0: This is Suzanne Cosgrove reporting for John Lothian News. Today we're looking at cannabis market fundamentals and equity performance with NASDAQ's Salim Daya, who's part of the Toronto based research team that covers listed cannabis companies, many of which trade on NASDAQ. I looked at NASDAQ's first quarter report on cannabis related stocks, and it appears cannabis shares followed the broad market lower throughout the quarter, both on concerns over COVID 19. But losses in the cannabis sector were more dramatic. Heavy outflows in cannabis-related ETFs also were seen. Cannabis shares picked up in the second quarter as investors came back into the market. But let's talk about some sector basics first. So, Celine, cannabis stocks, as you measure them by index benchmarks, tend to be more volatile than broader equity indexes?
1: When we look at the shareholder base in a lot of cannabis companies, we see a greater tendency towards shorter-term holders, including hedge funds and retail players. Combine this with a lot of derivatives activity, and you have a great recipe for volatility. Now, during the first quarter of 2020, as you know, the sell-off in cannabis names would have reflected a broad-scale decline in exposure on the part of hedge funds, which of course comprise um, some of the largest shareholder type within cannabis names. These funds would have been confronted with a liquidity crisis amid the COVID-driven volatility as investors redeemed their capital, and this would have prompted the selling or liquidation of assets and cannabis names precisely because of their risk profile, and so they would have been the first to go. Now, as volatility in the broader markets has broadly waned in the aftermath of the COVID sell-off and risk appetite has improved, which you also note, uh, we've steadily seen assets flow back into the cannabis space.
0: I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the names in the Selective Index. Um, What would be some characteristics of best and worst performers?
1: Some of the names that we did uh, highlight in our our quarterly report were Namaste Technologies and Sundial Growers, for example, right? Just to take a step back here, uh, the breadth and scope of cannabis names covered in the selective North American Marijuana Index will lend itself to a lot of diversity. And so the business models that we see in individual companies will vary quite a bit. But looking at Namaste and Sundial Growers as an example, let's start with the former. Namaste essentially operates as uh, an e-commerce platform for the cannabis space. And when we look at their relative performance in Q, uh, Q1 2020 and compare that with the broader selective benchmark, we do, we do see that the company outperformed uh, relative to the broader candidates names. And uh, I really think that was driven by two factors. Uh, the first is the company is viewed as more of a technology play. Now, during the COVID-19 sell-off, we saw investors essentially concentrate a lot of their assets in companies that were believed to benefit from lockdown restrictions technology companies would have been some of the most pertinent beneficiaries and this would also have encompassed say e-commerce names right Mm -hmm. now because namaste technologies operates as an e-commerce platform we suspect that this trend likely benefited the company the second trend is essentially the stockpiling of cannabis when we look at cannabis sales data for the month of march uh, we see that cannabis sales by and large remained quite robust as consumers essentially stockpile cannabis in anticipation of lockdown restrictions because there was a lot of uncertainty regarding what lockdown restrictions at the time would actually look like. Now, as a corollary, what we have seen, and this I think is particularly relevant to a company like Namaste, is we've seen online cannabis sales encounter exponential growth. The Ontario cannabis store, for example, saw about an 82% spike in online transactions in March as consumers essentially favored this type of sales channel. Now, again, for an e-commerce based company like Namaste, I imagine that this would be quite supportive. Now you have the flip side, the Sundog Growers, for example. Sundog Growers fell precipitously in the first first quarter down by around 79%. Mm. The company encountered a series of obstacles over the first quarter of 2020, which would have included things like executive turnover, liquidity challenges, just to name a few these would have been compounded essentially by the economic impacts of the COVID-19 sell-off which saw firm notation out of risk and into safety.
0: It's essentially a very young industry overall so there's a lot a lot to watch.
1: Exactly, yeah exactly it's it's still it's still quite nascent.
0: What about performance between Canadian names where recreational use of cannabis is legal nationally and U.S. names where it's not federally legal. How does that play out?
1: When we actually look at the performance of Canadian versus U.S. names over, let's say, June, for example, we do see that U.S. names have outperformed their Canadian counterparts. So about U.S. names on average, U.S. headquartered names in the Selective North American Marijuana Index gained about 12% on average versus 9% for their Canadian counterparts. Now, we do see an even greater disparity when we look at quarter to date. It's about 25% for US and 12% for Canadian. Now it's worth noting that you'll definitely see some outsized performance among select names, which will drive up the overall average. And that effect is especially more pronounced amongst US names in the selective index, just because you have a smaller sample size, right? So more outsized performance amongst a smaller sample size will invariably have a a more skewed effect on the overall average. But with that aside, I do think that this really reflects two phenomena. One is a general favorability towards cannabis companies with US exposure. Naturally, the market dynamics, the overall market size and the progress towards legalization in particular presents a lot in the way of opportunity in the eyes of investors. And I think this will really be reflected in how we've seen US-based companies perform. Uh, And on a related note, we have seen uh, evidence of US-based companies performing quite well on the earnings front. So these factors I think will definitely be supportive for US cannabis names.
0: You mentioned earlier that hedge funds were among the biggest investors and and you look at some of the first quarter investors in your reports and Mm -hmm. some very large names in there like Janice, Citadel, Vanguard. What is their profile in, in all of this?
1: So, there are a few things to note. So, yes, in, like, you, like you mentioned, there were a lot of big names as top buyers across the Canada space in the first quarter of 2020. You mentioned names like Janice, Citadel, and Vanguard. These were primarily top buyers across the larger cap market bucket. Now, for a broker-dealer name like Citadel and, say, an index player like Vanguard, this isn't going to be too surprising given what we know about the shareholder footprint for a lot of cannabis companies, namely a tendency towards more higher turnover and index-based names. I do think that Janice Henderson, the the large kind of London-based growth name, uh, is an interesting case. Their Mm -hmm. cannabis holdings will be concentrated among larger cap names. Um, as well. And their purchasing, if we look at the first quarter 2020 filings data, actually showed a tilt towards U.S. listed names, particularly Scott's miracle Grow and GW Pharmaceuticals. And I think this really kind of underpins the point that we mentioned earlier about U.S.-based cannabis companies broadly outperforming their Canadian counterparts. And, 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 you know, I think as we get greater clarity on, on regulation and as the industry continues to mature, we will likely see more long-term institutional assets step into the mix. And so, of course, the caveat here, the overhang, will naturally be what regulation in the U.S. looks like moving forward.
0: What about short selling? Is that a factor?
1: The one thing to note with short selling is there is very little in the way of disclosure requirements. And so ascertaining a specific name behind shorting activity is, is quite challenging. We typically become aware of a short position when it's large, and when the market learns about it, namely when some sort of short selling, short selling report is published. you know This was the case with quintessential capital management, which I believe two years ago, published a short report on AFRIA. There will be some select cases and you know, commentaries where institutional asset managers will highlight that they're bearish or they're shorting a, a certain sector, but specific visibility into various names that they may be short selling tends to be quite limited. The data that we do have on shorting in the Cannabis sector, particularly at the individual company level, and when we look at the data, let's say at the one of the major ETFs, the ETF Alternative Harvest um, ETF, we do see that shorting across the cannabis cannabis sector is essentially at its lowest level since around mid September 2019, and well below the highs that we've observed in the aftermath um, that we observed rather during the COVID sell-off what this tells us is that you know investors are broadly supportive of the of the space all things considered the macro the macro backdrop
0: you mentioned there's a a lot more involvement in the ETF alternative for trading in in the general cannabis market i'm wondering what trends are you seeing here in terms of trading volume what what does it reflect
1: one thing that we're seeing is we're seeing kind of bearish bets against the cannabis space, essentially hover around their lowest levels in since before, essentially, the, the COVID-19 sell-off. Uh, in terms of volumes, I think during the COVID-19 sell-off, we definitely saw a broader pickup in volumes, and that was essentially supported by uh, a lot of the retail bid that we saw in the market. And as we know, retail activity tends to be quite pronounced amongst cannabis names, so cannabis names would have been disproportionately impacted by that trend. I think that as the COVID sell-off kind of has waned, has, and volatility has waned uh, proportionally, we've seen kind of volumes across the cannabis space normalized to kind of pre-COVID-19 levels. Um, naturally, cannabis names will encounter some idiosyncratic activity, some elevated volume and elevated trading in line with a lot of news. So anytime there's a regulatory news uh, headline that kind of Hits the tape that'll definitely size up volumes. Any M and A activity across big names tends to be quite substantial as well. Aurora, for example, would have seen significant activity as well as its cannabis counter, as well as its cannabis peers, following news of its acquisition of I believe it was Reliva in the U S. Right. And so I guess to uh, as a roundabout way of answering your 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 question, um, a lot of the activity that we see in cannabis names all things considered, can be quite contingent on the catalysts at play, right? We have seen volumes normalize in the aftermath of COVID, but even then, catalysts like MA News will definitely drive the market, will definitely drive volumes.
0: Let's move forward a little bit and talk about NASDAQ's May and June monthly report. This moves us a mm-hmm. little bit away from first quarter into current trends. It, it appeared that retail sales of cannabis were up at the start of the second quarter with recreational use of cannabis outpacing that of medical use, both in May and June. And as you mentioned, it appeared that people may have been stocking up a little bit as the lockdown continued, which helped sales. So I'm wondering, do you anticipate these trends will continue?
1: I think it's difficult to say for certain if that trend will continue. What we have seen based on the data in Canada and some state level data in the US is that demand has either remained resilient or it has increased. In Canada, April sales remained very much in line with what we saw in March. And March is essentially when we saw that significant uptick with an 82% spike in buying an online alone. In select states like say Colorado and Illinois, we've seen monthly sales hit essentially new highs. But I think to to answer your question, a really important piece of the puzzle is going to be how regulation actually plays out not necessarily at the federal level, because I think, you know, given what we know about the upcoming election and the various platforms that have been put out, federal legalization obviously completely is 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 off the table at least. But I think what's going to be interesting to watch is the legalization progression in states like New Jersey, Mississippi, and South Dakota, which will actually be voting on legalization come November. So I think I think how the legalization piece progresses will really be an important factor that determines Uh, how well sales are reported moving
0: forward. If you could talk a little bit more about recent sales in the U.S. compared with Canada, you talked a bit about it. Um, And I'm interested in particular from the viewpoint of the U.S. that in your report it it showed that legal Canadian dispensaries still face competition from illegal operations and distributions, particularly in places like Ontario, where there are fewer stores, fewer legal retail outlets, and higher prices. I'm wondering how that factors into the mix.
1: So, as you noted, that that illegal market kind of remains a challenge um, in Canada, with the Ontario Cannabis Store estimating that the legal market actually accounted for only 19% of total cannabis commerce in the province of Ontario in the fourth quarter. Of 2019. Now, I think a lot of this will be a f- will be a function of the lack of retail infrastructure, as well as higher prices, which you also note in the legal sector um, relative to the illegal market. And so, the solution here is evidently a two pronged approach. First, we need an accelerated build out of retail locations, and second, is you essentially need um, a reduction in the price disparity between legal and illegal channels. On the former, the Ontario Cannabis Store actually restructured their licensing process from a lottery model, essentially, uh, they, had, they, they previously had to a more traditional application and review model, with the aim of getting the total retail cannabis stores in Ontario up to, I believe it's 250 uh, by the end of 2020. And by contrast, the number of locations in Ontario currently sit at about 87. And so I think, as you know, this component is, is, is really addressed, and this is also something that the OCS themselves note, is we'll see a, a pretty notable decline in the overall market share of the illegal cannabis market.
0: Is there anything we've missed here in our discussion? Something you'd like to highlight?
1: I think one of the things that we do tend to keep an eye on um, here at NASDAQ in the cannabis space is um, derivative activity in a lot of the cannabis uh, names that we monitor. Now, in general, we do tend to see more pronounced derivatives in cannabis names just because of the fact that it's cheaper to say hold an option than equity in a sector that's ultimately viewed as more volatile and more riskier than its counterparts. Uh, and one of the things that we have been noticing when we look at top options activity is, unsurprisingly, a lot of that's been concentrated um, ar- uh, around the likes of the big names, the Tilray, the Canopies, the Hexos and Kronos. Um, but I think what's interesting here is lately the top contracts across these names have essentially been concentrated in the near term. And I think this really broadly aligns with the pickup in very short-term options of contracts we've seen in the broader market during the COVID sell-off, which essentially mm-hmm. has been linked to the retail trading friendly that we observed during the COVID, se- COVID sell-off. So my suspicion here, and I think the data really supports it is that, the pickup in options activity that we've seen across cannabis names has been is in many respects a, a function of that of that important retail piece.
0: Well I really appreciate your taking the time and thank you very much I hope we'll get to talk to you again Celine.
1: No worries, no worries. thanks so much for uh, for for taking the time as well and it's it's a pleasure to kind of uh, to kind of be on your podcast and uh, Um, I'm more than happy to field any questions that you may have as kind of departing remarks.
0: This is Suzanne Cosgrove, reporting for John Lothian News.